This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Now and Not Yet. Pressing in when you're waiting, wanting, and restless for more. Written and narrated by best-selling author Ruth Cho Simons and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Welcome to the Grace Enough podcast. I'm your host, Amber Cullum. This week, I sit down with Vivian Mabuni to discuss investing your lives in others so that they may know and walk with Jesus. We discuss our heart posture toward discipleship, inquiring of the Lord, and some practical ways to begin discipling others. Listen to what Vivian shares about our heart posture. The posture of our heart is so important because we can be willful, which I was just describing, where it's like we're just trying to do it in our own effort and we're trying to muster it up, but it's unsustainable and it really does lead to burnout. That's a willful heart. Or we can swing to the other extreme where we have a will-less heart where we just kind of think, ah, it doesn't matter. I'm just, uh, I'm just, and so what God, I believe, asks of us is that we would have a willing heart. And a willing heart and hands that are open means that we are surrendered to what God would have, what he would place in our lives and what he would even take out of our lives. That place of surrender is when we actually experience freedom. Today's conversation is like sitting down with a dear friend who you always look forward to meeting with because she both challenges and encourages you. But before we begin, I would like to introduce you to one of this week's sponsors. Do you want to memorize scripture? Me too, but I struggled with daily practice until I discovered Dwell differently. Dwell helps you memorize one verse each month by taking the first letter of every word in a verse, stringing them together in a cool design, and providing the design as a temporary tattoo, on a key tag, and a 4x5 card. How awesome is that? Everywhere you go, you're reminded of the verse you're memorizing. Each month, you get a kit in the mail. Members also get a digital kit with screensavers and downloadable coloring sheets. The best part is that people are always asking you what your tattoo means. It's an easy way to share your faith. And the verses can be memorized alone, with friends, and with family of all ages. That's what I love, memorizing the monthly verse with my children. Find them at dwelldifferently.com, at dwelldifferently on Instagram and Facebook, or take a listen to their podcast by searching for Dwell Differently on your favorite podcast player. Good afternoon to you, Vivian, and welcome to the Grace Enough podcast. Oh, Amber, we're finally talking. I'm so excited. (laughs) I know, right? What the listeners don't know is we've been trying to do this for goodness, several months and pandemic hits and all kinds of interesting things. So I'm very excited to be here today. Go ahead and just tell everybody a little bit about yourself, your family, and what you do on a day-to-day basis. Sure. So I am recording from Southern California. Uh, We live here in Mission Viejo, which is halfway between LA and San Diego. Um, My husband and I have been married. It'll be 30 years in July. And um, 
we have three young adult kids now. So there is a day when parents, your kids will know how to put their own shoes on and get into the car by themselves and they will actually drive away one day. It's, it does happen. It does happen. The days are long and the years are short. It, oh, it so truly true. is true. Right. So anyway, so um, yeah, my husband, I've been on staff with crew formerly Camps Crusade for 32 years now. So awesome. And um, 28 of those years, we were working with college students with uh, the campus ministry. Yeah. And in the last uh, several years, I've transitioned over to speaking and writing as my primary job, which has been really um, kind of a bringing together of life experience and passions. And I've just been having a wonderful time doing that. And and also one of my passion projects that I've been working on is Some Days Here, which is a podcast for Asian American Pacific Islander women, and just this, this new collective of AAPI Christian women leaders. And that's been something that I've wanted for myself all my life. And now I'm in a place to kind of try do that. God, to do that. Yeah. So that's what I've been doing from kind of a day-to-day and life. It's, it's such an awesome um time to be stepping into that. And I know that it affects you personally. I just, every time I see something that you post or a testimonial from someone, it's such a gift, right? To see, you know, that representation really does matter. Mm -hmm. Um, And so thank you. And thank you for just the awareness that you bring Mm. to people like me Mm -hmm. who um, otherwise does not understand. So thank you. Sure. Well, you know, that's very motivating for me to hear, you know, obviously in your own life, Amber, but also I do spend quite a lot of time in predominantly white spaces. Yes. But a lot of my motivation is for that very reason that as I'm there and as I'm, whether I'm teaching the Bible or sharing some of my story, it serves to help raise awareness. And then there's a connection point because now there's a, a person and a face that uh, kind of connects to what's going on, even na- nationwide. So in the same way for me, I grew up in Colorado and I didn't have a lot of black friends. Uh, but in my adult life, I have now become very dear friends with a whole number of African-American women who are so amazing and brilliant and wonderful. But now their pain is my pain. Yeah, and so as true. they walk through the different challenges I am experiencing it very differently because of proximity. Mm-hmm. And so that is a lot of the reason why I remain very committed to being in spaces where there's more opportunity to educate and to build awareness and invite people to come and taste what life is like for me as an Asian American. Yeah. And while we're going to talk mostly about discipleship today, I do want to make one more comment towards that, which is. Every time I engage with someone who just really disagrees with how I view things, um, when it comes to, you know, race, ethnicity, whatever, my question is always, have you ever just sat down and talked to someone Mm -hmm. who is not like you? And I'm not talking about that person that you say is your friend. I'm saying, have you ever actually ask some of the hard questions of those people that are your friends? Meaning, have you opened yourself up to be empathetic towards someone else's experience? 
Mm -hmm. And honestly, most of the time I don't receive a comment back. And so I will continue to do that and stand with you and other people because that's what makes a difference. That really encourages me because I do think that there are things that you can say as a white woman to other white women that it would be inappropriate for me to say. So there, so I appreciate that because there are so many weird stereotypes that people just buy into because of media portrayal or whatever, without actual relationship and lived experience. And so so that is really a, one of the places of healing takes place on a personal level. And then there's just awareness with what is going on systemically and otherwise. So just, and, and a more comprehensive understanding of history and American history, all of that. I just, it's just, we live in a great time where there are a lot of resources where we can fill in the blanks a little bit more because the world has kind of grown smaller and there are opportunities to learn from one another via podcast via, you know, just our, sharing our stories in our lives. That's so. so true. Well, I love when I get started to talk with talking to someone for them to just briefly share, how did you first come to know Jesus and begin walking with him? Mm, I love that question because it's so good to be reminded. I think as believers, it is just, I think that's why God kept the Israelites in a place where they needed to continue to remember, like remember God did this and they had the memorials set up so that they could remember. So I love the story because it reminds me again of God's faithfulness. So I did not grow up in a Christian home. I grew up culturally Buddhist, which pretty much meant that we had certain holidays that we do certain celebrations, kind of like um, Mulan or Coco, you know, something yes, you know, yeah. that, trying to help, help your listeners to kind of make a right. connection. We're all there. familiar it, with those yeah, two those movies, two, right? right? <laughs> so there were, you know, incense and, you know, inviting the dead spirits of, you know, ancestors to come that kind of idea, but it didn't influence my life in any way from day to mm. day. So that's what I mean by cultural, yeah. culturally Buddhist. I've come to find there are a lot of cultural Christians as well, you know, that yeah. kind of just go through the motions, but it doesn't really impact their day-to-day life, Absolutely. their relationship with Jesus. So I was fortunate in high school to, so I grew up in Boulder, which is totally granola and very new age and lots it's of cults, so funny. You know? to, sorry to <laughs> think that it was granola then, because if, if it yes. was granola then, and I know what it's like now. It's like, <laughs> no, next level. <laughs> yes. So, and so of course I grew up and I feel very comfortable in all the weird cities like Portland and Berkeley <laughs> and Austin, <laughs> Madison, like just pick all the really weird ones. And I feel right at home. So That's awesome. I grew up in that environment. So I always was spiritually minded, you know, and I wrote papers in high school about UFOs and Ouija boards and tarot cards and whatever, you know, cause I was just, I knew that there was more to life than what I could see see. Yeah. And so I knew there was a spiritual realm somehow. And then I was just fortunate that in my math class in high school, I sat next to a friend and I watched her transform sitting next to me day after day in math class. And I was like, what happened to you? Did you become a vegetarian? (laughs) You're glowing. And she's like, what? And she goes, no, I have a personal relationship with God. I'm like, well, what do you mean? You go to church now? She goes, no, no, I have a personal relationship with Jesus. Wow. And so she shared that with me. And, and I'll have to be honest with you, Amber. I heard that and I was disappointed because I was like, you're so smart and you're so funny. How could you be duped into believing all this mythology? You know, like that yeah. was really my, my perspective. And she, um, 
just shared her life and her love for God. And God was so intimately involved in her life in such a way that it was just undeniable. And she just had this glow about her that she just stood, she just, it was just so evident that there was something very authentic going on that was, Mm. that was notably different. So that sent me on a spiritual journey. And I ended up um, putting my, my trust in Christ between my sophomore and junior year of high school through a, a different friend, different set of circumstances. And then went and tried to live the Christian life in my own effort. So I knew that Christians went to church. So the mornings that I woke up, I would drive myself to church. I'd cry through all the worship songs and I'd drive home and there was still no life change. And then I went to the mall and bought a Bible and I opened it up and started reading it. And it was so boring and dry. And I couldn't understand the measurements of this temple (laughs) and all the names of all these Kings. And like, it just, there was no connecting, you know? So I was actually more frustrated having become a Christian because now my eyes were open to right and wrong, but I could not live consistently Mm. right. So I really was ready to toss it. I tossed Mm. my whole relationship with God, just like another phase. And, um, then my dad went through midlife crisis and he moves our family right before my senior year of high school oh, not goodness. across town, not to another state, but he moves our entire family from 17 years in Boulder, Colorado to Hong Kong. <laughs> oh my goodness. I know. I know. So this is where the remembering part is so important to me because what I thought was the end of everything at the time, as a 17 year old, I was mad at God. Every security was taken away. I grew up speaking Mandarin Chinese, but the dialect in Hong Kong is Cantonese and the two pronunciations are completely different. So it might as well have been Portuguese. You know what I mean? So, so there was just every security was taken away, no relationships, nothing. And so I was mad at God. And I had one of those ultimatum prayers in Hong Kong where I said, I am so mad, but I really do sincerely want to know you. And I need a church, a youth group, Christian friends. And if you do that, I will give you my whole life. Hold nothing back from you. Otherwise I'm going to go out and get drunk and do something I'll probably regret, but I'm never talking to you again. I mean, it's in like true teenager fashion right there, right? Like where the brain has not fused yet, but you know, (laughs) from green to red in a half a second, in a hot (laughs) second. So, but isn't God just so good? Cause now I look back and I remember, and he came through in Hong Kong of all the places. And I learned about discipleship. I learned how to share my faith. I was I was discipled myself. I started seeing friends come to Christ because I followed through on my part, where as God provided the very things I had prayed for, I followed through and I gave him my whole life. I just said, I am all in. And that to me is the secret sauce of the Christian life. That has set apart every believer I've ever met that has that same glow that my friend had, has a point in time when they said, yes, I'm all in. Mm. And that all in is something that I believe we as believers come to crossroads over and over in our lives as life gets more complicated and complex. I'm, I'm still brought to places as, you know, circumstances happen. So that's a little bit of my story. Yeah. Well, I mean, I have to ask though, because then you did go on and get involved in crew. So I'm assuming, did you come back to the States for college? 
I did. I had, I applied to one school because I grew up in Boulder. So I knew the University <laughs> of Colorado. So that I didn't have a guidance counselor. Like I literally, I only applied to the University of Colorado to the business school because my parents said that might be practical. So I, but I, but I remember asking my youth pastor, like, I don't want this love for Jesus to be just a phase I'm going through mm-hmm. here. How do I keep walking with God? And he said, you need to find a group of other college students who are going to help encourage you in your, your walk with him. So look up inner varsity or navigators or campus crusade, you know, find, find a vibrant fellowship and plug right in. So I took those words to heart and I Mm. went on a quest. I arrived to college ready and looking, and I ended up, you know, making some of the best friends of my life and in an incredible environment that really helped me to solidify, um, Yes. the root system, the foundations of my faith, which has then, you know, kept me walking with them all these, the rest of these years. Right. I mean, college ministry changed my life. It was the tool God used to really change my life. I'm always encouraging young people, gosh, don't miss out on it. You are not missing out on anything in college by not doing all those other things, but you will never regret meeting your lifelong friends in college mm-hmm. ministry. Oh Yeah. 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 So, and so I true. love it because for those who've been raised in a Christian home, even it's that first time away from home That's where you right. really, you really start to own your own faith. You That's know, right. like you really have to make those decisions. Like who, who do I believe God is? Will I continue to um, invest into my relationship with him? if I don't have the external pressures of my family. And I think that's the magic of doing campus ministry and college ministry. I will always have a very huge part of my heart that just will always love college students for that reason. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, you have poured your life into hundreds of women through college ministry, discipling them. And so Tell us a little bit about that period. I mean, it's, I want to say that period, but it's not like it's over. You're, you've just transitioned because your husband's still, I mean, you're both still on staff with crew, correct? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And so just tell us a little bit about that journey and, you know, how you've poured into women, um, young women, particularly when it comes to discipleship. Well, I am convinced that as believers, you know, we're called to love the Lord, our God, with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind to love our neighbors ourselves. And then there's two specific things that Jesus said in the great commission to go out and make disciples, Mm -hmm. you know, um, that is um, a command that he gave to all believers. And he just said, just invest your life into others. And then Paul gives us the illustration in second Timothy two, two, where, you know, the things that we've heard in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful people who will be able to do that to others. So there's just this sense of our lives multiplying. So rather than you and I trying to talk with one person and then go to the next person and through addition, try to reach the world that multiplication and exponential growth takes place as we invest into the lives of faithful people who then turn around and it just, it's very possible. So that's what Jesus did, you know, that he had his 12 and especially the three, but I mean, here we are today because of discipleship, you know? So I'm absolutely convinced like from the scriptures that this is what we're called to do as believers. But I also, I just think about what really matters in life and the kind of relationships that we can have 
investing into the lives of others, and especially those who are still in a a season where they're just a few seasons behind us. Mm -hmm. It's just helpful. So even when I was a young mom, to be able to be with a mom who was in a different life stage, it was just so helpful. Like, how do I walk with Jesus? I can't (laughs) even go to the bathroom by myself. You know, just, (laughs) you know, so whether it's like through mops and the mentor moms or whatever, there's, you know, places where we can encourage the ones coming after us. Yeah. And that's what I love. I'm so passionate about that. So there's just, we can't do everything, but I think that all believers can be in places where we are being mentored and discipled that we can seek to build into the next generation as well. And it doesn't have to be um, rigid. Right. I think that there's like seasons and there are, relationships that come and go that are based on where we live or our life stage or, you know, certain connections at church or, you know, outside of church. So there's just some really beautiful places, but I, I just think, I hope for my, to my dying day with my last breath, that this is still going to be a part woven into, to my life that I would weave into others that would continue to do the same. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, discipleship can be such this big churchy word. Um, and I think sometimes people are like, Oh, I want to disciple someone or I want to be discipled. And we have to be so, you know, I think about one of my closest friends, Allison, who is about seven years ahead of me. And, you know, she was like, I don't even really know how to do that. And I'm like, but you're really doing it for me already. Like you don't even realize what you're doing. The fact that you're even honest with me about the struggles you have with your middle school boys when I had newborns. Yeah. And then you're trying as hard as you can to address that from a biblical way or a way Mm -hmm. of Jesus. Like that was discipling me because she was my good friend and it was very Mm -hmm. intentional. And so when you think about that, like, what are some practical ways that you would say this is discipling someone? Well, I would say for those that are seeking to be discipled or even to being available to disciple, I would say for sure, without it being kind of a formality that we start a meeting and end a meeting with prayer, but genuinely seeking the Lord, inquiring of him, um, I think it can be pretty um, organic Mm -hmm. in the sense that there's just a click, you know, like there's a, if I'm listening to the Lord and other people are asking the Lord, he is so faithful to bring our paths to cross. And so I would say that there are a few things that would be um, important for those seeking to disciple is that to really pray through, like Jesus spent all night in prayer before he selected the 12. So it's not like you just kind of, oh, let's just do coffee. Like there is a very intention. He was intentional. And I think we need to be intentional and invest in people who are going to take it seriously and not flake, you know, people who are teachable and want to learn. Um, I think it's significant that when someone is genuinely seeking someone to disciple them or to mentor them, that they have been proactive in that, Yeah, you know, and they totally agree, you know, and, and they come with questions even like, Hey, I have this situation. I'd love your input. What do you think about this? Or, you know, there's just a, there's a, a trust that's built. And for me now, as, as I've grown over decades of discipling, 
I think before I used to feel very responsible for, and I'm also mm-hmm. codependent too. So that's, you know, that, that is part of my note. issues. <laughs> you know, just, you know, so it's kind of interesting that there are a lot of codependents who are nurses and missionaries, you know, there's just consistency there. So, so I am, I am a codependent, recovering codependent. So, but in my early years, especially, I felt so responsible for mm-hmm. all of the outcomes and the decisions and just really wanting to make sure that they would make wise decisions. And if I could at any, in any way, help them to do just that. And as I've gotten older, I feel less of that pressure that I don't have to have the answers and Mm -hmm. I don't have to determine the outcomes. I don't know the end of the story. I can share from my life experience. I can share what I'm learning in the scriptures. I can continue to point each and every person back to the Lord and his character and who he is so that they are not dependent upon me, but are ultimately always dependent on the Lord. And it's like that with parenting. Like our kids are so dependent initially, but our whole point is to have them be able to make decisions, live with the consequences of their choices and think rightly and um, have their own relationship with Jesus and hear the Mm -hmm. shepherd's voice and follow him. So we're a part of that journey, that's just an incredible privilege. Um, I think, and I think that often, even in our churches, there are a lot of women that are biblically illiterate and really need help to learn foundations. And I think that's a lot of what discipleship for me is, is helping a new believer. And even someone who's grown up in the church that may not feel very strong in their faith to get grounded and rooted and that their foundation would be strong. Yeah. And I mean, that's the thing. If anybody's listening right now, I've had people ask me before, like, how do you get a mentor, you know, disciple? And you said it earlier. I mean, be proactive. I prayed and then, I mean, I just sought people out. Like I see that this woman, I see these characteristics in her and I'm going to ask her if she's interested in mentoring me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, all they yeah. could do is say no. Yeah. Like, yeah. And so don't be afraid to do that. Yeah. You know? I think it's so good. Yeah. And, and it doesn't even have to be, um, it can just be an initial connecting over coffee yeah, and then that's right. letting it be kind of an organic thing. But I, I have experienced this over and over that as I've said, yes, I hear later that someone else had been praying, you know, and it's like, yes. this was, it, there was a yes in my heart and there was a yes in that person's heart. So it was a really good match. Oh, I love that. What are dads made for? Hmm, I've been asking myself the same question. Author Amanda Glass, creator of the Made For book series, helps kids and dads answer that question. That's what dads are made for is more than just a fun book with cute pictures. It's one that creates conversations that build meaningful connections. This Father's Day, help your kids connect with dad as they discover together. Oh, that's what dads are made for. For kids three and up, just $9.99 when you order now at themadeforbooks.com. So in a culture where we seem to go, 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 um, now we're in a little bit of a different season because we're coming out of a pandemic, but I already see it kind of half it in a little bit again. Um, we often feel we aren't living on purpose. Mm. And so in your book, Open Hands, Willing Heart, you encourage your readers to look at the posture of their hearts, which I just love. What does that really mean? And, you know, how did that play into your surrendering 
to God back when you are a college student? Mm, I love that question. So the title of my book, Open Hands, Willing Heart, really is to me the, the North Star, kind of a guiding checkpoint. Like I, I can use that in, in an instant, can really, mm. you know, evaluate and, and just see where I'm at and readjust as needed. Um, yeah. I think the posture of our heart is really important because we can tend to overdo it and then burn out or become cynical and bitter and feel used because we were doing things that we thought we were supposed to be doing, but we actually, God never called us to, but we just ran on the pa- so that true. hamster wheel and the smoke was coming and the wheels are coming off. And, um, and that's not what honors the Lord. I think it's a long haul that we are called to walk with Jesus and it's a marathon. So yeah. being able to discern, and as I'm, you know, in the old Testament right now, in my own Bible reading, I keep seeing how David inquired of the Lord. And when David inquired of the Lord, God answered. And he just, and the Kings that spent the time, like, can we just inquire of the Lord? Like just simple. Mm. That is a great starting point. The other thing is that the posture of our heart is so important because we can be willful, which I was just describing where it's like, we're just trying to do it in our own effort and we're trying to Mm. muster it up, but it's unsustainable. And it really does lead to burnout, right? That's a willful heart. Or we can swing to the other extreme where we have a will less heart, where we just kind of think, ah, it doesn't matter. I'm just, Mm. uh, I'm just, and so what God, I believe asks of us is that we would have a willing heart and a willing heart and hands that are open means that we are surrendered to what God would have what he would place in our lives and what he would even take out of our lives. That place of surrender is when we actually experience freedom. We also have the benefit of the power of the Holy spirit to lead and direct us because it's kind of like the flow can come through this surrender. You know, it's Mm -hmm. when I'm, when I'm clutching and my hands and my fists are so tight, it's really hard to listen And it's, you know, I just, I am (laughs) just demanding, you know, and I start to pray with a lot of directives, like, okay, I'm firstborn too, so I'm kind of bossy, but I, you know, I'm just like, okay, God, this is the problem. And this is how you're supposed to fix it. And you need to do this now in this person's life and that person's life. And, you know, and instead of really coming with open hands and maybe not even any words, but just literally placing that person and lifting that person to the king and saying, here, Lord, I I surrender them to you because your will is perfect and it may not be what I want. And I'm, and I am sitting right now in this very moment with a dear friend who's just been diagnosed with stage four cancer. um, And I cannot make sense of that, Amber. Like I I cannot make sense of that except for to continue to lift my friend up and ask the Lord, I I think it's absolutely fine to ask for healing, but I think again, that posture of surrender of like, yes, Lord, your will be done. I don't know what that is, but I'm praying that your will would be done and that you would um, intervene in just the right ways and be glorified in and through the situation that I cannot understand. Mm. So that's to me what willing looks like. Um, yeah. what surrender looks like. I'm a cancer survivor myself. So I've had mm-hmm. to walk 
that path personally with three kids that I want to live. I want to be at every milestone and, um, and to need to continually surrender over and over again and trust that he is good. His will and his ways are loving and good and right. And ultimately he is sovereign and nothing surprises him and he is worth following. Um, I think that as the longer we go on in life though, uh, there's probably more questions than answers. And in that way, I think for me with the hard things in life, I think I have a greater empathy for people who struggle with trusting God. Um, And I can understand that now in a different way, but I still find that my anchor is in the character of God and he does not change. And um, we can choose to push him away during the hard times, but I have to say that in leaning toward him and seeking his face, it changed a lot of my experience because I had the benefit of his comfort and his presence with me. Um, I don't think that God is ever um, offendedness. Like we, I, I think he's big enough to handle our honest and raw emotions. Absolutely. And so we don't need to fake it with him. I think we need to just come to him. And usually for me, it's like, why did I wait so long? Like truly you were, where can we go? You have words of eternal life, just like Peter said, you know, and that really is, it's like that love relationship with Jesus at the end of the day. That's what it's really, really all about. Yeah. It's so true. Well, and I think about how we're just talking about heart posture and, um, you know, a heart posture. Yes, it is a heart of worship and, you know, surrender to him, but it is, like you said, it's also an honest posture of, Mm -hmm. I'm angry right now, Lord, but I know that you can handle that too. Yes. Um, I'm confused. So you are not the author of confusion. So clear Mm -hmm. that up for me. Mm -hmm. And so that goes into that posture so much too, you know, all the emotion he can handle that. That's right. Yeah. And it's just, it, it is, I mean, I hadn't really thought about heart posture as much in that way. Cause I've always thought about it as surrender as well, but mm-hmm. no, it is, it's all of it. He's just, he is so faithful and I am so grateful because it, even if it doesn't happen overnight, you know, that you were talking about it earlier, the Joshua stones, you know, he asks us to really like stack those up and it's mm. like, it's so you remember. Yes. <laughs> it's so that you can look yes. and say, remember when I told you, you were going to walk mm-hmm. across there and you're mm-hmm. going to get in the promised land. Well, here you are. You there know, you go. yeah, <laughs> we need the remembrance. <laughs> we need the remembrance and it doesn't make the moment it on one hand, it does make it easier when we can look back and see God was faithful, but yeah. it doesn't, it's still hard to choose to trust. So the circumstances may be different and we can look back at God's faithfulness, but the actual choosing to surrender and trust is still Mm. gut-wrenching, gut-wrenchingly. Try it. Yes. That's a hard one. (laughs) Gut-wrenchingly. Gut-wrenchingly difficult. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing in this book, you do write about common roadblocks to full surrender. And so will you share a few of those with us? Um, I know you, you talk about, you know, entitlement, busyness, there's so many, Mm -hmm. um, 
But will you share a few of those and just kind of how those play out in our lives? Oh, yeah. Oh, here we go. (laughs) So, so I loved, well, uh, yeah, you know, I did enjoy writing this book because it's so much of my story wrapped into, you know, all of the, the things I've been pondering and thinking on all of these years. And I, I think it's really, uh, my lived experience of the places where I have struggled with having open Mm -hmm. hands, those have been the times when I've been bitter or I've been too busy or I have felt entitled Mm -hmm. or I have just not cared and been apathetic. Like those are all these roadblocks. Right. And I just think, you know, doing it in my own effort and the self-reliance and all that stuff. And then I kind of shift gears. Like even when we live with open hands, our lives don't end up looking like how we thought the happily ever after would be. And there's, how do we live in the midst of, you know, appointment and how do we live in the midst of really hard circumstances that we don't understand? So there is, you know, serving without seeing, I think that that is really a lot of the, Mm. the, for the young moms out there that, you know, sometimes we feel so invisible. Like, did you leave me on the shelf, Lord? And I'm living surrendered, but I am serving without seeing. Um, mm. We sometimes don't get to see the side of heaven, the difference that we made in someone's life. And I think oh, sure. we will be so surprised one day when people come up to us and say, hey, um, it was because what you did at the Starbucks drive through or, you know, when you, when you encouraged me with those few words in Trader Joe's the other day, that that changed the trajectory, yeah. you know, like, I just think we, so there's a few stories that, you know, I was privileged to hear about later of things I had no idea about. And I think that that's just this picture that we serve without seeing. And that's part of our, our journey as well. So there's the faith element that while we have air in our lungs and a heart that beats, we're on mm-hmm. assignment and it matters. The people yeah. that are in our lives matter nothing is haphazard, nothing is wasted. And learning to embrace no from God does not mean when God says no, it doesn't mean he stopped loving us. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I think as a believer, I think that only yeses to my prayers are indicators that God loves us, but even no's are from a God who loves and is good. Well, and I, I think about, you know, you said something there that I'm like, you know, one of my really good college friends, Christy, she is one of the very first people that I met in FCA and Mm -hmm. I'll never forget, you know, I I just didn't know much about the Bible. I knew I wanted to know Jesus. I didn't know him at that point, but my life was still kind of a mess. And I remember sliding, you know, a little piece of paper under my dorm room door that had, you know, Jeremiah 29, 11 on it, which most people who've been a believer for a while know, but at that point I didn't know that. Mm. And she, if she listens to this now, probably still has no idea how much that little note impacted me. Yes. And yes, we became roommates and we became friends. But in that moment, <laughs> it mattered a lot. Yes. Like it really changed a lot. It, it potentially changed the trajectory of my life in a sense of that's what God decided to use to say, hey, Mm. this is the truth about you. Yeah. This is the truth about me. Mm. So like, come on be friends with this girl, be friends with this crowd, like move on. So it is so true. I mean, you just, Mm -hmm. you have no idea what little gestures and um, all kinds of different things, the impact that it has on people for forever. So I really, really love that. Um, 
But you, you encourage us to run the mile we're in. And um, I speak, you know, to comparison often and, and know that's kind of, we can get our eyes on all kinds of different things and people, but how have you really stayed focused? I mean, you have worked for the same organization for what did you say? 30 years? 32. <laughs> I mean, that is incredible. And I know along the way, there's been plenty of people that it would have been real easy. And I'm, and I'm sure you did it. We all do it. But it's like, you know, coming back to the mile you're running. Mm. What are some ways that you encourage people and that you said, you know, this is, this is what God's given me to do. And I'm keeping my eyes focused here. Mm. Wow. I probably have to sit on that question for a little bit, but my initial right. thought, yeah, <laughs> my initial thought is where we fix our eyes is incredibly important. I think about Hebrews 12, one and two, where it says, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also run with endurance, the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter mm -hmm. of our faith. So there's a couple things there. One is obviously where we fix our eyes in that, you know, when we start to do the comparison thing, there's always 10 people taller than us and 10 people shorter than us and 10 people with more money and 10 people with less and 10 people who are smarter so and 10 people who are not. And we can, it can lead to pride or despair and both are focused on self. Yeah. Um, so one of the ways that I've been able to keep my eyes focused on Jesus has been, and this actually came out of my cancer journey where um, because of really being in a place of dependence on others, I started to read the scriptures differently. And wow. that same Hebrews 12, one and two, what stood out to me after cancer was therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes. So the Christian life was never meant to be lived alone. So probably Amen. the biggest thing is being with other people who are going to encourage me to run the race that is with me that I'm mm -hmm. called to at this point in time. Um, yeah. That probably single-handedly has made the biggest difference because I do think that we become like the people around us. And Absolutely. when I spend time with women who all they care about is how many carrots their diamond is and you know, the, and how many carrots they ate today. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Sorry. Right. Sorry. You know, all the carrots, right. The orange <laughs> ones and the diamond ones, but we just can completely <laughs> get completely inundated. And that becomes yeah. what, what we think about, what we obsess about, what we put all of our energies toward. And when I'm with friends who really do recognize that Jesus is the King is worthy of our everything, that people matter, that all people are made in the image of God, that our lead foot would be love, that we would love well, and we would love God with all of our being. When I'm with those kinds of believers, I leave with my spirit, like fired up to run my mile. You know what I mean? And that's it's right. That's, I think as the longer I go, the more I realize that, 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 the community piece is genuinely, I think, how God created us to, to live out our faith. I mean, it's like, there's so many people too, that they're running their mile. And it's so I've gotten to where now I'm like, whoa, if I'm really struggling with that comparison, 
what is it about that person that I admire? You know, mm. I mean, maybe they, maybe they have this quality and God's ready to develop that in me. So go to them and ask, Hey, I see you doing this. Well, mm. you know, is there like, I don't know, is there any way you can mentor me in that? Or you got any tips for me? And it's like, all of a sudden it's not a threat anymore. It's yes. a, like, you're awesome at this and God's gifted me this way. And let, I mean, can we run side by side, whatever it may yes. be. And so, um, yeah, it, it is amazing. I will say you're right. Like the older we get age <laughs> helps a lot, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> yes. And I decided older is 15 years past wherever you are. So, you know, we're not right. quite like old, but I know but my kids are like, mom, you were born in the 1900s. And I'm like, <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, I was. True story. Oh True my goodness. Story. It's just, know, right? it, is, it is just too much, but yeah, no, I think that you're totally onto something there with, you know, we don't have to live in scarcity. There is, oh. there is enough of everything and God is a God of abundance. So mm-hmm. even our ideas and our skills, like, I think we can be very open-handed even in that because God will continue to provide um, opportunities and ideas. And, you know, if you're an idea person, I think we can trust that if we came up with these ideas, God will continue to give them to us and that we can continue to be dispensers of blessing to the people Mm -hmm. around us and to live with those kind of open hands where it's like, it's, it's all from him anyway, from him, through him and to him and to him. Amen. Well, you're right. Having a willing heart means that we obey without seeing the end of the story, which we've kind of talked about and trusting our work and our lives to the hands of the one who sees the end from the beginning to encourage our listeners. Will you share a story where you now know the outcome. So you can see now, and I mean, that may be your cancer story, but it's that Joshua stone for you, right? Like Mm. you picked it up, you've laid it down. And now you can look back when you're in a place of real struggle and say, okay, God, I know you're faithful. Mm. This is so timely. I think I need to sit and remember. And that that is something that mm, we need to keep going back to, you know, being reminded of. I think about what life looks like right now that I had no idea about um, in the midst of being bald and going through chemo and radiation and surgeries. And I am, um, boy, I just I think in those dark days, you know, where yeah. I just wasn't sure what was going on. And And honestly, there's a part of me that, you know, struggled with the entitlement piece, like, Lord, we, we gave you our whole lives. We're missionaries. We've been serving you. Like, what does this even mean? And having no idea that it was going to be through cancer that God used cancer to pull the writer out in me. Like, you know, it was just this completely bananas thing. So um, I started writing during cancer, you know, on a medical blog, on a Caring Bridge blog. And that was kind of the impetus that started the whole writing journey, which led to an author I never met who happened to read the blog, who forwarded it to an editor. And that ended up becoming my first book and just the doors that the Lord opened as a result. But I do have a fun story to share with you that during cancer, one of my really good friends is is a marathon runner. So she 
has run the, (laughs) I know that's a special (laughs) gift that I do not possess. (laughs) So, but she was made to run. And so she told me that at the end of the LA marathon, the Los Angeles marathon, there are Japanese taiko drummers that play right at the finish line and you can hear them playing the drums and you can hear the sound about a mile out. And it just gets louder and louder as you get closer and closer. So it's just kind of this, this visual for me. And when I was going through the chemo part, that was probably the hardest stretch of this cancer piece for me. Um, I would just, I was just straining to hear those taiko drums in my mind of just the finish line of chemo. And um, when I had my final chemo, my three of my dearest friends and their kids were banging pots and pans, you know, in the kitchen and celebrating that way. So anyway, but during cancer, my girlfriend said, you know, when we, when this whole madness ends, we need to do something really fun, like go to Italy or something to celebrate, you know, like, and so when I'm bald, I was just like, okay, okay, I'm going to trust you with Italy, maybe one day. So then cancer treatment ended, we went on to life. And then, you know, dreams of Italy kind of fell away. And then, Mm -hmm. then an opportunity opened up to go to a women's conference in Florida. So there in Florida, um, we realized, hey, do you know what's in Florida? The Epcot Center. And you oh, know what's yeah. inside the Epcot Center is Italy. So we were like, Italy. something's better than nothing. So long story short, there were six of us and we ended up getting free park hopper tickets to the Epcot Center, which was its own story. Of- so, so we just fun. floated through, we had lunch in Italy, and then we decided to go use the bathroom in Japan because those are really cool. Japan, you know, Japan has really cool, like the days. That's stuff. right. Yeah. All the buildings, so, and all everything. the things, right. So we go and uh, there were regular bathrooms in the Epcot Center, but while we we're finishing up, my girlfriend grabbed my arm and she said, can you hear them? Can you hear them? Amber, we started running toward the sound and there were three Japanese taiko drummers playing with all of their strength and all of their beauty. And the six of us just bawled. And it was this moment where the Lord said, your cancer journey, this is the end zone of your cancer journey. You are still here. It is time to pick up your sword and re-engage in battle. I'm not done with you yet. We still have more to do. And that was the marker point, Amber, for me to re-engage. And it was at that conference that I met the people that eventually led to the, all the things that are my current now. now. Wow. Isn't oh God amazing? Gosh. Yes. And see, even you remembering that now, may that propel you forward mm. with what you're doing with the podcast and the collective. Thank you. You're welcome. I needed that. My soul needed this, this conversation. Well, I'm so grateful that it worked now and it didn't work the last time or the time before that. I mean, seriously, you know, Mm -hmm. we've sat and talked about like things aren't wasted. There's not mistakes. Yeah. Um, so if there's a listener here who just wants to, you know, connect with you and learn more about what you're doing, yeah. Um, where can they find you? I really enjoy Instagram. So I'm at, at Viv Mabuni. And if you want to follow Some Days Here, we're at Some Days Here Co. Um, we actually have an event coming up at the end of June. Yeah. And All right. it's like wide open. If you want to learn about Asian American culture, just come as a learner, come to, yeah. you know, just hear authentically the conversations. I think you can. Are you all doing some, it live? It's going to be a virtual event. 
Oh, so, that's great though, yeah, because so more people can, can come. Yes. And we have some really special offerings for transracial adoptees, parents who've adopted children of Asian descent, oh. mixed race relationships and identity, and just some really incredible things. But I think as a for your listeners who are not Asian, it's still, I would love for people to come and learn because a lot of times yeah. there's just like we were talking about in the beginning of our conversation, like there's all these stereotypes, there's not an understanding, but when we come with a heart that wants to learn and just, just kind of be an observer, like let the AAPI women do their thing and learn from that experience. I think it enriches all of us more. And so yes. I would love to invite you and all of your listeners to come and participate with us on June 26th. Okay. And so that the registration for that, can mm -hmm. it be found on your personal website or is it on the podcast? Like is all that stuff together? So yes. Uh, so on Instagram, I have a link tree that has the registration awesome. and you can use Viv10 and get 10% off your ticket. Um, it's also um, at someday or someday's here co the website is where you can all, find all yes, of it. Yes. Awesome. Well, Vivian, thank you so much for this conversation. It has really, it's blessed my heart. Well, I have loved connecting with you and just the timing has been just a gift from the Lord to me. So thank you, Amber, for inviting me. Who comes to mind when you think about investing in others? Maybe it's someone who has invested in you or someone you have invested in. Or maybe it is someone you've watched pour their lives out with a willing heart. I want to encourage you to do two things. First, send that person a note or a text or an email, letting them know you appreciate them. Second, leave me a comment on Instagram at graceenoughpodcast underscore Amber with that person's name and how they've impacted you. Or send it to me in an email at graceenoughpodcast at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough Podcast. Tune in next time. This episode was brought to you in part by the Enneagram and Marriage Podcast, an outreach dedicated to bringing joy, strength, intimacy, and purpose to couples seeking growth. Be sure to visit enneagramandmarriage.com to find your chemistry together again, or for the very first time.